Hello, and thanks for joining us for the Education Doctor Radio Show. I'm your host, Dr. Pamela Ellis. The Education Doctor Radio Show is your family source for educational excellence. Our program is brought to you by Compass Education Strategies, where I'm the principal consultant, and our mantra is Access, Thrive, Graduate. You can learn more about our firm at CompassEducationStrategies.com. Thanks to everyone who is listening to our show today. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to our program. If you are listening to a podcast of this program, we also want to thank you for joining in. For future show updates and ongoing relevant education news, please join our Facebook community by searching for The Education Doctor, then clicking like. You can also find us on Twitter at The Education Doc. We are also on Foursquare, where you can see our tips to prep schools, colleges, and graduate schools around the country. Please join us on Foursquare if you're there. We have a great show lined up for you today. If you're anything like me, you've probably relocated before. As stressful as it is, I have moved 11 times since college, so I moved from Palo Alto to New Hampshire, New Hampshire to Phoenix, Phoenix to Memphis, Memphis to New York City, <laughs> New York City to San Francisco, San Francisco to Detroit, Detroit to Cleveland, Cleveland to San Francisco again, San Francisco to Chicago, and then catch this, I went back from Chicago to San Francisco and then San Francisco to Dayton. No rhyme or reason, just a lot of moving. <laughs> and I must say that each time is a challenge, especially when you're relocating with children, and I have three of them. And I'll be frank in sharing with you that much of my work is conducted in California, New York, and Chicago. But one of the things that keeps me based in Dayton is that I know how difficult it can be to navigate the school systems for my three children all over again in another city. However, if I had to move, I would just bite the bullet and do it. And for those who are listening and face with a relocation, it may seem daunting, but there are many more resources available today that can assist in the transition to a new community. My guest today is Marie Schwartz, who is the founder and president of Teen Life Media, which is based in Boston. She knows this relocation process well, and in her move to Boston, she not only had to navigate the educational options in a new system, in a new city, but in that process became a resource to other families who were seeking options for their own children in the local area. And my hope is that as we learn about the great work that Marie is doing and its expansion into other markets, that it will make your family's own relocation feel a bit less daunting. So before we get started, I want to make sure that our listeners have our contact information. I know that a lot of listeners do listen in and may not decide to call in with the question, but just in case, our call-in number is 
347-215-8856. And this is always the point in the show where I just love to say that our switchboard is located in sunny Southern California, but I am broadcasting live from Dayton, Ohio. Now, in addition to our call-in number, which is 714-333-3356, you may also email us at radio at compasseducationstrategies.com. I will take a short break, and then I will come back with Ms. Marie Schwartz to discuss relocation and how to find educational, you know, how to find available resources for educational success in a new community. So just a few seconds, and then we will come right back. This is the Education Doctor Radio Show brought to you by Compass Education Strategies. I am back now to talk with Marie Schwartz, who is the founder and president of Teen Life Media. Marie, you're on the line, right? Yes, yes, Dr. yes. Pamela, thank I'm here. you. Thank you so much, Marie, for joining us on the Education Doctor Radio Show. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, good, good. Well. You know, spring and summer is a popular time to relocate because families want to get settled before the, before the school year starts in August, so it's very timely to have you on the show today. Yes, I, I have lots to say about it, so I'm, I'm, thank you for inviting me. Thank you. So, Marie, I've already heard your remarkable background story. Would you please share with our listeners your experience of relocating to Boston? Sure. So in um, in 2003, we moved my family, which consists of two sons who were then going into sixth grade and eighth grade, and my husband moved to Boston because my husband was offered a job up here. So I don't know if that's typical for most families, but I suspect that a lot of moves are triggered by promotions or new new job opportunities that people mm-hmm. find out about in advance. You know, so that's a little different. Yeah. Um, than maybe just going showing up somewhere and, and hoping to find a job. So, so we had the advantage of knowing ahead of time that we were moving, and I don't know if everybody has that that option. We knew a, pretty much a full year ahead of time. So that really, yeah, it was helpful. Oh. Like my husband mm-hmm. started commuting to his job, so we mm. we wanted to. We found out I think in Thanksgiving of around Thanksgiving of the year before we moved, of the summer before we moved, mm. and we wanted the, the the kids to finish the school year. And I'm pretty sure that this would be a decision many families would make, you know, rather than pulling their kids out of school in the middle of the year. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so it, it was helpful, it, on the one hand, to um, to know that in advance. On the other hand, obviously, you know, it was sort of bittersweet for our children because they knew that uh, that they would be leaving their beloved community. But it it, uh, it did give us all time to process what was happening and so mm-hmm. um, we were living in Scarsdale, New York, which is a, a great suburb with a wonderful public school system, and they were both in the public schools. And we thought, okay, this is an opportunity to do a couple of new things. One is to look at schools in Boston that, that might be a better fit in some way, shape, or form for each of our kids um, mm-hmm. because of who they are. And Boston is blessed with having a lot of very – qualified uh, pub- uh, private schools as well as public schools. So mm-hmm. it allowed us to consider that. And when we we opted to um, place both of our, our boys in a, in, a, in a private school because of who they were, and we felt that they would be given, you know, the, the resources they needed to, 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 to succeed in, in school in a smaller school setting. Mm-hmm. And so... 
I think the, the but any regardless of which school you choose, I think there's a lot of work you can do ahead of your move to plug into um, the new the new the new city. There mm-hmm. are I think now there what would have, those be? Well, first of all, uh-huh. the the employer. So assuming you have an employer lined up, the people who work there are very motivated to help you succeed with the move, and mm-hmm. they usually have. You can, um, you know, they they can provide names of real estate agents, or they can provide names of, or they have families with kids of similar ages that you can talk to. So you can, if even if they don't offer it, you should ask to speak with people who have uh, the kids in the same age groups. The um, the other thing we did was we in our case we went and spoke to an educational consultant in Boston mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. who helped us sift through the different schools and he knew which ones were accepting eighth graders which isn't a, a, a very common entry point he also knew which schools were accepting sixth graders so between sort of his advice and and some of the other people we spoke to we narrowed we were able to identify the school the schools that we we our, our children were were applying to now we knew about this before the application deadlines i think it's a little bit harder if you find out you're moving after the application deadlines if you're choosing a mm-hmm. private school but most mm-hmm. schools have room for people who move i think they they accommodate you the other thing you can do is uh yeah a real estate agent so if you have some idea of what neighborhoods you'll be ta- you'll be um attending or living in you can ask to the broker, the real estate broker, to tell you the names of some families that live in those communities. I think that's an invaluable resource that a lot of people may overlook. And um, so we, we, I know I've been contacted before by people who were moving in, uh, possibly also through my alumni network. So that's another resource. If you have a college that has an active listserv in the city that you're moving to, or an active um, club of some sort, alumni club, then you can contact them to be, and people are very willing to help. So I would say those two, yeah, those two, the real estate agents, any alumni relationships that you might have. And then thirdly, if there's any volunteer or business associations that you're part of that have a chapter in the new city, that's Mm -hmm. another. Like I was a member of the Junior League of Central Westchester. There's a Junior League of Boston. But it could have just as well have been uh, a Rotary Club, or you know, whatever club or business, uh, American Marketing Association chapter. There, there are ways of, mm-hmm. of connecting to the same, the same audience or the same types of people, or the same resources in in the new cities. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that would be my, you know, I, do you think that that's helpful to think about what you can do ahead of time? Oh, definitely. So definitely. Yeah. So the other. Um, thing I'd like you to then expand on and talk more about is once you get to a city, because sometimes, particularly if you may not have as much lead time to prepare and figure all those things out, you're in a city, maybe you only have a a couple of months really to make the transition. What do you do then once you're in your new city? Well, I think most people they focus on what where to live. I think that's probably the mm-hmm. first the first decision. And so I would say the real estate agents are still one of the top people on my list to co- to to speak to about um about communities and what they're like and mm-hmm. you can also look for 
local media. Sometimes they have a, 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 a one issue, like I know the Boston Magazine has something called Ten Top Place Ten Top Places to Live in Greater Boston, and mm-hmm. they list the, the communities and the schools. And there's also websites you can go to to find out about the schools in a particular community. And those are all ways of triaging, if you will, narrowing down yeah. the communities. So we looked in probably five different suburbs here, in addition to being to looking at um, renting a place in downtown Boston. Mm-hmm. And we ended up renting in downtown Boston. We wanted to be in Back Bay because it was um, something we couldn't, you know, it was a unique experience. We found a great um, multi-level sort of apartment. And mm-hmm. it, gave, it totally took away the anxiety about moving because we were, smack in the middle of, of Boston with a park nearby, and our kids just absolutely loved it. So, right. Yeah. So once we settled on a place to live and, and found out what schools our kids were going to, I was connected to um, a host family in each son's school. So before school even started, mm-hmm. the school was able to find a family that was willing to have us over for dinner and talk to us about the school. Oh, really? And, now, that's pretty and, unique. Yes. And I think yeah. it could, every school, you know, schools may not have a formal um, program like mm-hmm. that, but I'm sure that if you ask, you can you can be connected. So immediately my sons both had a friend when they walked in the first day. Right. Which I thought was uh, very helpful. And they told us mm-hmm. sort of the ins and outs of the new school and what to expect, and I think that also helped a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so so that helps take care of the kids and then there's a whole mm-hmm. other <laughs> there's a lot of other things you need to do as an adult to get your network back together. Mhm. Now, one of the things I know that you did and you haven't shared this yet in terms of um finding resources is, you know, what did you do as far as other educational resources? The school is a big one to find. But right. after that, there's so much right. in the way of after-school care, right. Uh, right. summer opportunities. Right. What What do you say to families, and just what did you do in terms of finding those different options? Okay. Because well, those are um, a little bit more hidden and not so easy to find. Yes, I know. Yes. Uh, well, depending on what time of year that you move. So we moved in August and school started in September. So my first issue was after-school care because of um, and work commitments that I wanted to have and <clears throat> and just having having that option available to me. And I find that the best uh, – there are a couple of websites that exist in many cities, not necessarily all cities, but um, there's mm-hmm. a couple – One's called SitterCity.com, and the other one's called Care.com. And it's they called both Sitter City. Sitter City, like S-I-T-T-E-R. City, okay. So uh huh. Sitter City, right? S-I-T-T-E-R City, and they—they're not in every every city by any means, but they are in the major metropolitan areas. And what they do is it's a, it's like a online uh, matchmaking. Uh, a, a website that matches you to a, a, a child care provider that with the really? characteristics that you're looking for. Yeah, it's great. Hmm. That is great because I now that my kids are older, mm-hmm. uh, I haven't really looked for sitters in the same way, and so I did not know about this resource. So this is great to hear because I certainly know of a lot of families with younger children who right. worry about. Oh, they would love. 
Well, this would this be if, if a if a site like Sitter City served your area, you would be you would be done. You would be finished. Mm. So usually there's some kind of a small setup fee and a, and a small monthly fee to keep your account active. But what it does is you can put in your your requirements, and then it gives you the list of all the sitters that match your requirements. Everything from their age, whether or not they have a car. Um, uh, what, what, when they're available, so it's, it makes it super easy to to find oh, somebody. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then the other, if 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 those sites don't exist in your area, you can also call local colleges. Most of them have a mm-hmm. job board, and uh, students check it, and you know, can, can I've found some wonderful, wonderful students to help out with various things. So, as your kids get older, actually, it's the word babysitter is. Um, is kind of not what they're looking for. They <laughs> they would rather find a you know a responsible young adult who can be kind of a, a friend or someone to hang out with, as right. well as a, you know a, an authority figure. So I was uh, able to find you know my two sons loved these college students. I had I, we probably had three different um, different ones over over the years, and they've all stayed friends. And we've, mm. we're going to one of the, one of them is getting married in three weeks, and we're going to her wedding. And we've, this is probably the second wedding we've been to. And uh, to, so they're like older sisters to my son. Yeah, all oh, this great. Yeah, so I, I highly recommend college students as a you know older college students as a usually I only rec- hired over twenty one because I wanted mm-hmm. maturity there and and um, I was very pleased with what mm-hmm. I got. And, and what kind of role models they were. Hmm. So then, so childcare is a, a big one. I, I can agree with you. I agree with you there. And then, then you have to look in, uh, and see what after-school options the schools ex- offer, because some some have an after-school program. And and then the the way to find out about other things is going online, of course. And that's where I ran into trouble. I didn't find any kind of resources that had uh, that listed conveniently listed sort of what was available to students between, say, the ages of 12 and 18. And mm-hmm. so I was involved with a PTA at my school. I became a class parent, um, not right away, but maybe after a year. And it was a wonderful way not only to meet new parents, but to start a, a network going of of tips and things like that. And it seemed like many of them were looking for the same things I was and not finding it. Like both of us had older children who were in eighth grade, and that was we didn't know, you know, where to look. So what started my company was I just simply sat down one winter and started listing all the summer programs I was able to find in the local paper, in the magazines I was mentioning. So any advertisers that came that popped up, I put in an Excel spreadsheet and then mm-hmm. uh, grew that to about 300 listings. And I, all I did was convert that to a Word document that I printed, and parents were able to buy buy them for the cost of printing. So I think hmm. it was $18 or $19. So it had a nice spiral binding and so forth. It was very informal. I mean, it was really not intended to be my business. So I think it was called The Guide to Summer in Boston. Oh wow! Yeah, that was wow. my first my first publication, and mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I now, I, what kind of information did you include on the different programs that was helpful for the parents who were buying it? Yeah, well, a, a brief description, whether or not it was co-ed, mm-hmm. 
the ages, age ranges, and uh, the fee, and I grouped them by category, not alphabetically. So if someone was looking for a sport, a specific sport like basketball, there were all the, the three basketball programs were listed side by side, so you could compare mm-hmm. and contrast them better. I also put an index in there of start dates, so if you knew that you were trying to fill a week in June because um, you know something ended and something started and you had this extra week that you needed your child to go somewhere, they could see which program started for that week. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was really popular. And, and then I also included some information about... Um, community service opportunities that I was able to glean from various sources. So, mm-hmm. but the um, the template, you know, the, the description of each camp was the, was identical, and m- most of them didn't even know they were in this guide. You know, I didn't ever communicate with them directly. It was simply a, a, a listing that I found that I felt was suitable for this, this audience. Mm. Um so yeah, now, that was, sounds just really great because I know that you know years ago I would spend like my entire spring doing nothing but planning out summer <laughs> and right. just to be able to see what's offered which week and know right. what's in my area would have been invaluable to right. have. Right. Yeah, one one yeah. friend of mine said she gave the guide to her son and said, "Here, plan your summer," and he could. Mhm. So he, you know, he picked computer camp and then cooking and then some sport, and he made sure that the weeks didn't overlap, and that was it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> now tell us in terms of how that's involved into Teen Life Media. Well, so what happened was the following year, you know, I sort of mm-hmm. produced it and forgot about it and moved on to doing other other work. And the the, the parents that I knew who who purchased it or who heard about it said, hey, are you updating the guide again for the next year? So I said, well, I hadn't planned on it, but I will. And so <laughs> I, I did and and produced the second year, the, the, the one. And then it wasn't until the third year that I realized there may be more here than than I thought. Like I, I, I started at yeah. The, the families were saying, well, what about? I'd love a directory, a guide to community service because my son or daughter has to do community service at their uh-huh. school. They have to, right? They have to come up with 40 hours or whatever, or they really like it and they don't know who 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 can we turn to. So, I produced a guide to community service and I was inspired by a. Um, I, I saw a volunteer fair. At the cop at the Prudential Center in mm-hmm. all here here in town, that was designed to attract young adults. It was called Volunteer Expo, and uh-huh. I thought to myself, "What a great model! I mean, this is a wonderful way to gently introduce, you know, teens who are sometimes bulky to um, meet meet face to face with nonprofits who want to want them as volunteers." And so. Mm-hmm. We, I found a local uh, suburban mall who was willing to work with me and donate the space. So we put together the first community service fair. I think it had 36 nonprofit exhibitors on um, on various levels. It was a, a vertical mall. You know, it had four floors. Not it wasn't very wide. And uh-huh. we uh, also attracted some sponsors. I called some you know people I knew at various companies who had an interest in that audience, and they provided the funding to pay for the the various materials and rental equipment we needed. And then we invited um, singing groups from the various schools to come Mm. to provide some entertainment. And we had a jazz band. Actually, we had a band. We had 
an a cappella group, and we had a chamber orchestra. I think we had four different groups, and it attracted some ambiance. You know, it created some ambiance in the mall, which was great. Yeah. And uh, we were shocked when 600 people came. Really? Yeah. So wow, we that's great the, for a first-time event. <laughs> right. I know. So. You know, the schools were very supportive of it. They mm. they readily distributed the invitations we sent them, and and that event has now grown. It's um, it's we'll have it we'll, the fifth one is being held next February, and we have probably upwards of twelve hundred visitors. Wow. Yeah, and so we're and we're replicating that in other cities. So that's the other mm-hmm. story. The part to the story is we realize that that. Um, that this is something that should be should be offered in more cities, in more communities. Now, what are the other cities that you'll be going to with the fair? Okay. Well, the the fair and the and so the website has a, a, a button called teenlife.com has a button called local, and all the cities and communities I should say are listed there. And so the 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 idea is to have local listings in 10 to 15 communities some of which will have a mega fair, like the one I'm describing, but others we want to help um, groups in those cities organize their own fairs by giving them sort of a kit to do it themselves. So um, the cities are, the communities, I should say, are starting with Boston, moving down. We've got Connecticut slated to come on board, Westchester, Mm -hmm. New York City, northern New Jersey, uh, Philadelphia, Southern Florida. Um, Come on, go a little west, a little bit further west. (laughs) Metro (laughs) D.C. So the Washington D.C. and the surrounding states there, the surrounding suburbs, Um, Chicago, San Francisco, yeah, San Francisco and L.A. Oh wow! Yeah, the second phase will be like Seattle, Denver, uh, Mm -hmm. possibly Phoenix. So it depends on where we have the strongest demand where we see the strongest Mm. demand. So we're looking for communities that have at least, or that have a capacity for 25,000 registered families, you know, so families, which consists of parents, students, and educators. So we're looking for communities that have that that many, you know, people interested in resources. Oh, wow. A lot of options. A lot of options. A lot of options. Yeah. And so, yeah, we've... Great. Yeah, so so summer programs is obviously a hot one, uh, a hot, mm-hmm. uh, a very interesting thing. But after school and weekend activities, we have those as well. So, for example, we'll list where you can, where high school students can take art. Like here, we have the School of the Museum of Fine Art. They have a wonderful yeah. Saturday, you know, studio they call it, mm-hmm. or the, the the Diablo Glass. Um, there's a small organization called Diablo Glass Blowing, and you can. The students can do glass blowing during vacation week, and then there's acting wow. program. So there's there's a number that of things. That is great. That, yeah. Yeah, 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 there's yeah. a lot on there. And yeah. Marie, this wraps up our, sh- our show, but I would love for you to share with our listeners how they can stay connected with all the great work that you're doing with Teen great. Life, because there are so many research resources great. that are on the site for them. Well, I'd what like to emphasize. Yeah, the mm-hmm. web address is, is teenlife.com, and if you would like to register, just click on the register button. Um, Join now is another link that we have, and you can choose what type of member you are. So it's helpful to know if you're a parent, a student, a teacher, an, an educational advisor, and then we get you started, and that means that you'll be on our mailing list. And I just want to say that even if you're not right. in one of the ten communities, 
two-thirds of our, our resources are, are involve programs that have a residential component, so it's a, they're accessible to anyone anywhere. Right. Well, thank you so very much. I am. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining. Um, please listen up for our closing message on how you can stay connected. Thank you.